You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's 6 p.m. September 28th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, mail ballots are the default now in our state. Plus, an analysis of 10 years of wildfire smoke finds disturbing health outcomes. It's all coming up in the California Report. After a roundup of regional news and weather, Felton Pruitt has an interview about a campaign to ban cyanide bombs deployed to kill wildlife. And in this week's Money Matters, Mark Cuniberti digests gut feelings and other theories of stock price fluctuation. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. We begin with a big change in policy governing how we vote here in California. From now on, California voters will get a ballot in the mail by default in all future elections. It's the result of a new law signed by Governor Gavin Newsom. KQED's Guy Marzarati has more. California is the eighth state in the U.S. to enact a universal vote-by-mail system. The process was tested during the pandemic. Voters here have received mail-in ballots by default in all elections since last November. The law will likely continue the trend of more Californians voting days or even weeks before Election Day. In this year's recall election, millions of California voters cast their ballots early, either through the mail or by dropping them off at a voting location or drop box. For the Cal- California Report. I'm Guy Marzarati. Just days before the state's COVID-related eviction moratorium is set to expire, a coalition of nearly 100 community groups is asking state lawmakers to extend it. With the expiration on October 1st, property owners in many places in California can once again try to evict tenants who have fallen behind on rent, a policy put on hold because of the pandemic. To evict, landlords must show they or the tenant has applied for rent relief and that the state either denied the request or didn't respond within a certain period. Housing Now Executive Director Francisco Duenas says he's afraid many eligible tenants won't get the help they need. Many tenants, when they receive or hear that they will be evicted, just move. They don't go to court to fight it. The California Apartment Association opposes an extension. Now to a major investigation from NPR's California Newsroom. It's called Dangerous Air, and it's an analysis of more than 10 years of data finding a tremendous spike in the amount of smoke we are breathing from San Diego to the Oregon border with disturbing health outcomes. Farida Javala Romero reports from rural Northern California where people have been living with the most days of smoke. At Tim Pedroso's farm, two dozen cows walk on acres of pasture and munch happily on grass. But last year, his farm, 100 miles north of Sacramento, was inundated with smoke. Pedroso says that led to a big outbreak of painful pink eye infections. One cow lost her eye. All of those, the group of heifers... Every single one of them had it. Scientists say that because smoke irritates the eyes, it can make animals or people more susceptible to infections like pink eye. Pedroso also worries about what all that bad air, year after year, is doing to his body. 
He remembers seeing huge plumes of smoke from his doorstep as wildfire consumed the nearby town of Paradise in 2018. If you smell smoke, it's probably not so good, but when you smell rubber and plastic, <laughs> real strong chemicals, I just think that's what, you know, we really, really need to avoid. Glen County, where Pedroso's farm is located, has suffered from some of the most persistent wildfire smoke, nearly three months a year on average, between 2016 and 2020. That's according to an investigation by NPR's California Newsroom that found millions of people across California and the western United States have been exposed to a tremendous rise in wildfire smoke. Here's our data journalist, Alison Saldana. You have places like Chico and Sacramento where it's nearly two months of uh, wildfire smoke exposure. Saldana analyzed a decade of smoke data in partnership with Stanford University's Environmental Change and Human Outcomes Lab. Together, they studied federal satellite images to count the days smoke showed up in each zip code. And they found it all over the state. Places like L.A. are now witnessing, on average, about 30 days of smoke. In California, residents of Willows, a town near Pedroso's farm, were exposed to smoke the most often, three months on average per year. So uh, that was the cafeteria area. This is um, just one of the hallways. Dr. Jared Garrison is the Glen County Health Officer. He shows me around the small hospital in Willows. I'm taking you down to where the clinic is. Garrison says the smoke has hastened the death of some of his patients with lung problems. That's consistent with scientific research that has found dangerous microscopic particles in wildfire smoke can make lung and heart problems worse. You know, it, it is associated with sudden cardiac death, so people just kind of dying all of a sudden. There's um, data that shows this linked with cancer. Here in California, state data show the smoke is sending more people to the hospital. NPR's California Newsroom found 30,000 more hospitalizations for lung and heart problems in 2018 than just two years before. When the individuals have means, I, I suggest they get out of the area, get away from the smoke if they've got severe lung problems. On hazy days, Vietnam veteran Larry George is stuck inside his two-bedroom house watching TV. It just feels like you're, you're not allowed to go out. You know, you don't have the freedom you had. George has a chronic lung problem. Even walking a few steps to his pickup truck is difficult. You know, it's like you've been running. That's kind of the way you get the feeling. You get to where, <laughs> like that. So he's thinking of moving to Illinois to live with his stepdaughter. Back at Tim Pedroso's farm, he says he's also considering leaving the state to protect his health. My doctor did say that I probably have smoke damage, so I don't want to stick around here and get worse. If mega wildfires continue, more Californians might also see their lives changed because of dangerous air. For The California Report, I'm Farida Jabala Romero and Willows. Support for The California Report comes from Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. SFMOMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at SFMOMA.org.
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, September 28th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. The Union newspaper in Grass Valley reports today that Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital will begin placing employees who have not received the COVID-19 vaccine on administrative leave starting Friday. A hospital statement said employees who continue to refuse the vaccine at that point will be terminated. Dignity Health spokesperson Yesenia Anderson said in a statement that Dignity is making an effort to ensure that the Grass Valley Hospital is in compliance with a state order issued last month that requires healthcare workers at most facilities be fully vaccinated by Thursday. Anderson's statement added that the vast majority of our employees have indicated they are already vaccinated or will begin the process. Anderson did not specify how many of the hospital's employees are currently unvaccinated or have refused the shot altogether. However, the union reported, the hospital statement made it clear that it would have little patience for such staff members beyond the deadline. Only those who had submitted proof of qualification for state-approved exemptions from the vaccine mandate would be allowed to continue being employed, and those vaccine-exempt persons will be required to undergo regular COVID-19 testing, Anderson said. The statement added, employees with approved exemptions must continue to wear a mask and will undergo regular testing for COVID-19. Employees who continue to decline to be vaccinated will no longer be eligible for employment. Nevada County issued a statement today noting that California is now cleared to follow federal recommendations that certain individuals can receive a booster dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. The booster is intended to provide enhanced protection to people who may be at greater risk of serious illness due to COVID-19. The county said on its website that booster doses currently are only available to those who have been fully vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine. Boosters should be administered at least six months after an individual has received their last dose of the Pfizer vaccine. According to the California Department of Public Health, the following individuals should receive a booster. People age 65 and older, long-term care residents, and people age 50 through 64 years with underlying medical conditions or at increased risk of social inequities, including communities of color. People who may consider receiving the booster include people ages 18 through 49 with underlying medical conditions and adults through age 64 who are at increased risk of exposure to COVID-19 due to their occupation or institutional setting. Pfizer booster shots are currently available at local and regional pharmacies and through healthcare providers. There are no plans for a large-scale booster vaccination clinic locally. The full news release can be found at mynevadacounty.com. The Nevada County Board of Supervisors today passed two resolutions accepting grant funding from the Federal Emergency Management Agency designed to provide defensible space assistance to Nevada County residents with disabilities, older adults, and low-income property owners. 
In 2017 and 2018, the County of Nevada applied for funding for two programs that offer defensible space treatment assistance through a cost-share program. The grants will cover 75%, with the homeowners covering 25% of treatment costs. These two programs will be divided into two phases. In Phase 1, defensible space treatment will take place on 123 properties that have already been identified and approved. Phase 1 will also work to identify about 775 additional eligible properties that will receive defensible space treatment in Phase 2. Federal funding for the two programs totals more than $5 million. Dan Miller, chair of the Nevada County Board of Supervisors, said in a statement, We need to grab every tool we have available to us when it comes to preparing our community for wildfire. These two programs and the grant dollars from FEMA are crucial pieces to how we slow the spread of wildfire. The Sacramento Bee is reporting that Governor Gavin Newsom said today that his administration hasn't ruled out implementing a statewide COVID-19 vaccine mandate in K-12 schools. Newsom said at a news conference this morning that his administration is in discussions with more than a thousand school districts on the issue. We're working very closely with their staff to understand the logistical challenges and hurdles, he said. In the weather for our region, tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, partly cloudy with a low of 55. On Wednesday, mostly sunny with a few clouds, a high of 76 and a low of 61. The air quality in Nevada City late this afternoon was good with an air quality index of 21. Wednesday's air quality also is forecast to be good with an expected AQI of 25. In Truckee tonight, partly cloudy with a low of 25. Wednesday in Truckee, mostly sunny with a high of 65 and a low of 29. The air quality late today in Truckee was good with an air quality index of 2. Wednesday's air quality is forecast to be good, with a potential AQI of 12. In Sacramento, partly cloudy tonight with a low of 52. Wednesday in Sacramento, a few clouds early in the day, otherwise mostly sunny with a high around 85 and a low of 52. Sacramento's air quality late today was good with an AQI of 5. Wednesday's air quality is forecast to be good, with a potential AQI of 31. Felton Pruitt gets the story on a petition drive seeking to ban cyanide bombs from being deployed to kill wolves, coyotes, and other wildlife on public lands. Next up, we're going to talk with Colette Adkins. She's the Carnivore Conservation Director for the Center for Biological Diversity. Thank you for speaking with us, Colette. I'm happy to. We wanted to talk about something that I didn't know much about until recently, which are cyanide bombs. First off, it just sounds atrocious, just the words. Why don't you explain to people exactly what a cyanide bomb is? Yeah, well, that's the kind of common name for a device called an M44. And these are poisons set out by the federal government or state agricultural departments used to kill wolves, coyotes, foxes, even dogs. And these little spring-loaded devices have a capsule of sodium cyanide, and on the top is a sweet-smelling bait. 
So when a coyote, for example, comes by, smells that uh, baited top, pulls on it, it is spring-loaded and shoots this powder up into the face of the animal and causes really an awful agonizing death. But one of the things that's so problematic about them is that anything that pulls on the device gets shot with this lethal toxin, including people, pets, endangered wildlife. How long have these been around? They've been around for decades and decades. There's been restrictions over the years. So like regular people can't just like set them up in their yards. They can only be deployed by state or federal officials because they are so very lethal. So at this point in 2021, they're still authorized. Yes, they can be used by this federal program called Wildlife Services. It's this federal wildlife killing program that largely targets coyotes, foxes, wolves, uh, animals that could be a nuisance to livestock operations. And they use those devices on private and public lands across the country. And then there's a handful of states that can deploy them themselves, including South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Texas. It's my understanding that they're banned in California. Is that true? They are banned in California. There's a handful of states now that do ban these devices. Oregon, more, uh, very recently, I think just uh, last year or two, banned the devices statewide. Right now, the thing that we're we're most excited about is that there is federal legislation to ban the devices on public lands across the country. So that was um, introduced by Peter DeFazio um, from Oregon, Democrat from Oregon, earlier this year. And um, we do have, and we had this petition that went before the EPA asking for a ban. And now we're just asking, you know, regular folks to continue to to you know, pressure the EPA to ban them and to contact their federal representatives in Congress asking for this ban, as they really just can't be safely used you know, by anyone anywhere. So if people would like to uh, sign your petition, how would they do that? Yeah, it's biologicaldiversity.org. And if you go to action up on the top tab, um, there's a whole list of action alerts, including one dealing with cyanide bombs. Thank you for your time. Is there anything else you want people to know? I really appreciate you getting the word out about these devices, and I am just really thankful that California has had the wisdom to ban them. And I really hope that this happens in other states across the country, too. It's that type of momentum that will lead to a federal ban. Thank you for your time. We've been talking with Colette Atkins from the Center for Biological Diversity. She's the Carnivore Conservation Director. Good luck with all your work. Thank you. In this week's Money Matters, Mark Cuneberti considers sell high, buy low, and other theories of stock pricing. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cuneberti. During times of market duress, investors sometimes say they get gut feelings about where the market is headed. Less likely to occur during up markets, somehow the brain develops some storyline during market corrections, that it's only going to get worse and that their guardian angel is telling them to sell their stocks and get out. Since many mom and pop investors are not schooled in how markets operate, their gut feelings are just that, feelings based on nothing concrete. 
it is more likely their gut is reacting to what is already transpiring in the markets instead of some divine intervention. Usually late to the party, mom and pop investors do not realize that the markets may be reacting to the random walk theory. This theory states that stocks do not follow any predictable pattern but instead take a random and unpredictable walk as to their prices, and therefore forecasting where prices will go is impossible. Also for consideration is the consistent market theory. This theory assumes all information about companies and their stocks are known, and therefore already priced into the market and the price of the stock. Unless it is insider information, which is illegal to trade on, the price of a stock is where it should be at any given time. This means thinking the stock is cheap or expensive and should move up or down accordingly sometime in the future is nonsense. Gut feelings, in my experience, are also nonsense, although some gut feelings may prove out to be correct in accordance with what happens next in the markets. Gut feelings can just as easily be wrong. Forecasting markets is impossible with a 100% degree of certainty, and although there are advisors, analysts, and investors that seem to be right more often than wrong, to know what will happen in the markets is the unattainable holy grail of investing. When a mom or pop investor claims to have a gut feeling as to where markets will go, in my experience, they are usually wrong. The reason is that markets are only the sum of all the decisions of all the investors in it at any one time. So if the markets are falling and you get a gut feeling to get out, there may be just as many traders thinking falling markets yield excellent buying opportunities. More often than not, when mom and pop decides to sell, it may actually be time to start buying. The reason trading on gut feelings could be hazardous to your portfolio is because these feelings are reactionary and are probably responding to what has already occurred in the markets. It means if somebody comes to me and tells me they have a gut feeling the market will sell off, it usually happens when the markets have already done so. Hence the old adage, the markets climb a wall of worry. If an investor desires to improve their ability to strive towards better market forecasting, they can start by educating themselves on the markets in general. I've always said education is the cornerstone of progress, and this holds true for those desiring to be a more knowledgeable and capable investor. Although no one can forecast where the markets will go with 100% certainty, some people are better at it than others. Those that are consistently on the right side of things do not achieve their success by listening to their gut feelings. Instead, the ones I know that are better market prognosticators are highly educated in everything that has to do with the markets and our economy. That does it for today's Money Matters. Past performance does not guarantee future results, and the opinions expressed are my opinions only and should not be construed as investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any securities and may not be the opinion of this radio station, its staff members, or underwriters. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold California Insurance License OL34249, and I'm a Medicare agent approved in the state of California. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, a new edition of Embracing the Journey. Lori Burkhart Frank and guests talk about how being an educated consumer can take the fear out of dealing with a mortuary. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. KVMR gets support from Sierra Timberline since 1978. 
offering a wide selection of contemporary to traditional American-made fabric and leather interior furniture for the Foothills lifestyle. Open Monday through Saturday, Idaho Maryland Road, Grass Valley. Online store at sierratimberline.com. And 1849 Brewing Company, brewing lagers, ales, and a variety of craft beers, offering a pub-style menu including wood-fired pizzas. On Sutton Way, behind the Union newspaper in Grass Valley. 1849brewingcompany.com. The KVMR Evening News airs every weekday at 6 p.m. If you missed any stories or want to hear them again, visit kvmr.org or listen to the KVMR News wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great evening.